Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Billy. Uh, I get to serve as one of the pastors here. It's a huge honor for me uh, to get to do that. Today's an exciting day. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, again, to all of our moms, uh, we want to honor you today. Uh, and as every day, we want to honor you. So you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up today uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Uh, if this is your first time here, or maybe you had not been in a while, uh, you are jumping in in the middle of a series where we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in a series called Be the Church. Uh, the reason we call it that is because uh, Paul is writing a letter to a church in a town called Corinth uh, where he is, uh, he's been there, he planted a church there, uh, and he had gotten word after he left that the church was facing some issues. And so uh, this letter was written back to them, uh, answering some questions for them, uh, also dealing with some issues, sin issues, and some marriage issues. And, uh, and now he, in chapter 11, has turned his attention towards uh, their gathering, like today, when they gather together as a church, uh, some of the questions and issues uh, that they had. And so in chapter 11, we dealt with kind of men and women in the church and what Paul saw there. And then last week, we talked about the Lord's Supper and how that should be a part of the gathering of the church. And then today, we're going to look at spiritual gifts. And so how many of you guys have heard the term spiritual gifts before? Anybody heard spiritual gifts? Uh, so it's something that, that the church should talk about a lot. You may have a good experience with spiritual gifts where you're like, man, I can't wait for the sermon today. Billy, I've been waiting on this. Or you may be hearing like spiritual gifts, what's the big deal? And so we have a lot of churches uh, in our country that differ on the emphasis of the spiritual gifts and how they should be practiced. And so whether you're here and you've been a part of a church where maybe you've had a bad experience and maybe the spiritual gifts have been abused, maybe somebody told you uh, you had to speak in tongues to be a Christian or you had some kind of false teaching that uh, filled your mind, or whether you had a great experience where uh, you've been edified by someone uh, speaking a word from God into your life in a, in a moment, whether it's good or bad, I think today will really give us a a huge foundation uh, for what the Bible has to say. Because ultimately, uh, really, our experiences have to be shaped by the truth of God's Word, not the other way around. If we go into spiritual gifts and what our truth is is shaped by what we've experienced, then we're wrong from the start. I mean, the line of that could go a hundred different directions. And so I pray today that God would give you some clarity around a good gift and a huge part of what he wants in his church uh, today. So let's start uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 1. And I'm just going to walk through verse by verse uh, the entire uh, chapter here. So uh, let's go. Here we go. Ch uh, verse 1 says this. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed, or some translations say I do not want you to be ignorant. Now it's important to understand uh, that in this passage, I wouldn't expect you to know this, but there are a few different Greek words. Greek is the original language that the Bible was written in for spiritual gifts. So Paul doesn't just uh, lay out one word for spiritual gifts. He has four different words that he uses, and this is a big deal. And so when he says now about the gifts of the Spirit, the Greek word that he uses here is kind of a, uh, uh, really has some ambiguity to it where it's a big uh, kind of think of an umbrella word where really uh, it could be better translated as now about uh, the things of the Spirit or the Spirit stuff Here's what I want you to know. And so Paul is really 
interested in them and, and really big on them understanding how the Spirit of God and the church of God are supposed to relate and what that looks like uh, when it comes. And so here's what I want you to understand. Like being a Spirit-filled church is not optional. All right, you understand that. And so whether you had a good experience with the Holy Spirit or a bad one or it makes you nervous or wherever you're at with that, the Spirit of God is the, the most important thing in the church of God because it is what empowers the church. It is what empowers us as Christians to live a life of uh, Christ-likeness and holiness and, and, and moves us to follow uh, the ways of Jesus. And so the Spirit of God can do in and through us great things, but we have to understand how to relate with it. And that's what Paul is addressing. I read this quote this week, and it was too good not to include a, a pastor and author by the name of A.W. Tozer said this, and it's kind of a sad reality. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on. And no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, and in the book of Acts, 95% of what they did would stop. And everybody would know the difference. And so as you read that, I want you to think about, I do not want us to be a church that does not, is not empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to learn how to relate uh, with the Holy Spirit, speaking for myself and from you guys in every seat, because it's important for God uh, and what he wants to accomplish through his church. Verse two, Paul says, you know that when you were pagans, pagan just means an unbeliever, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says that Jesus be cursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, okay? So Paul's first thing is he wants us to know about the Spirit. His first thing, his primary thing that he wants us to know is that the Spirit of God and its primary purpose is to elevate the person of Christ. Like the Holy Spirit, the best way to think about him and what Christ has taught us about the Holy Spirit is he is the spotlight of the Trinity, like he is shining a light on Jesus. He doesn't want to make much of himself. He wants to make much of Christ. He wants to make much of the Father. He wants to bring glory uh, to uh, the Godhead and the Trinity. So when a person is filled with the Spirit, they will always be talking about the greatness of Jesus. That makes sense? And so if somebody, let's say somebody's told you, man, uh, so-and-so spirit-filled, or man, this, this speaker's just so anointed, and God has his hand on them, and you hear them speak, and they're talking more about themselves than they're talking about Jesus. In your mind, what needs to register is based on the Word of God, this person is not filled with the Spirit. It sounds like this person's filled with themselves. And so we need to be able to recognize that as Christians, because the Spirit of God specializes in talking about the greatness of God and, and, and really glorifying God in our lives. How do I know this? John chapter 15, verse 26, uh, is when Jesus was talking, and he said, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and here's what he's going to do. He will testify uh, of me. This is Jesus talking. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine, and then he's going to declare it to you. 
And this is the job and role of the Holy Spirit. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to promote himself or any man or any woman, but to glorify and, 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 and glorify Christ and who he is and what his purposes are for his church. Verse four, Paul says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Listen to how much he brings that unity, the same Lord, same God, same spirit. Verse six, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the second thing about the Spirit that Paul wants to make clear for them and he wants them to be informed about is that the Spirit brings different gifts to different believers. But it's the same God that brings the gifts to you and brings the gifts to other believers uh, in the room. Same God, and they have the same purpose. And that purpose is for the common good of the church. Uh, Paul would later say in Romans that it's for uh, the edifying of believers so that we can be strengthened spiritually and grow. And it's a way that God operates to encourage the faith of other believers. So notice, again, I told you Paul uses different words for spiritual gifts in the original language. So we get those four words here. The first one is charismata, or the word that we get charismatic from, right? Have you ever uh, heard people talk about uh, charismatics? Well, a lot of times there's a negative connotation with what we would call a charismatic Christian. But I would tell you today, if you want to be a Christian filled with the Spirit, you need to be charismatic because that's the word for spiritual gifts. To say you're not a charismatic Christian is to say you don't want the Spirit of God uh, displaying gifts in your life. And that is not something that we want to do. The second word is the word that we get deacons from. Uh, and it is where he talks about being empowered for service. So we see that spiritual gifts are given to us for the sake of serving other believers. It's almost a stewardship issue. So if you're a believer, you got the Spirit of God, a, a, a gift came with that, and then also some gifts could come around that from time to time in your life. God is giving you and entrusting you with spiritual gifts for the sake of serving other people around you. The gift isn't about you. It's not to showboat. It's not for you to enjoy. It's not me to stand up here and say, man, God's given me the gift of teaching. Look how great of a teacher I am. Have you heard me preach, by the way? Oh, you should hear me preach. You should go back and watch. Man, all you should listen to is me. That's not what the Spirit does. It's the opposite of the Spirit. Someone who's gifted is, is all about Christ. They're showing you uh, Christ. It's almost like the gift is important, but it's not as important as the person who's given the gift. The given we're given gifts to make much of Christ. The third word he uses is a word where we get energies, which is kind of an interesting thing. Varieties of energies is what uh, the original text says. And so when we get a spiritual gift, it's given to us to energize us for the mission of God. So when we're operating in our spiritual gift, there, there comes with it a, a zeal and an energy that, that brings us to be passionate about the word of God. And then he ends with the other word of spiritual manifestation. So a spiritual gift is a manifestation of the spirit of God in your life, meaning that literally when you operate in your spiritual gift, it is literally God working and displaying himself through you for his glory. It's an incredible, incredible teaching. 
And Paul wants us to see that the Spirit of God empowers the people of God with gifts, spiritual gifts, to serve one another to accomplish his mission in the world. Like that's what he's after, and, and spiritual gifts are a part of him doing that. And these are good gifts, and we as a church, you as an individual Christian that make up this church, should desire the gifts. Like we want them, if we wanna be used by God, we should eagerly desire them, is what Paul's gonna tell us at the end. Verse eight, to one there is given a spirit, uh, given through the spirit a message of wisdom. So that's one he lists. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of that same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between the spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of those tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and listen, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. All right, so who determines who gets what spiritual gift and when they get it? The spirit of God, right? So this whole idea of you coming and saying, hey, I have this spiritual gift and I can call it, I can do this, or I'll pray it down and all these things, that's not in the Bible. Like we focus on the mission, we focus on the Lord, we focus on strengthening the faith of other people, and God gives us and empowers us with spiritual gifts as he sees fit, when he sees fit, to accomplish uh, his purposes. And so we need to understand that. And so here, he gives us a list of a few of these different spiritual gifts. Now, it's important to understand that there are six different lists in the Bible of spiritual gifts. And none of the lists are the same. Like some have the same in there and there can be some overlap, but some don't include some. And, you know, so what do we do with that? There's 22 different spiritual gifts listed in the Bible. Well, here's what I would uh, tell you to do. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. So we should not look at the Bible as an exhaustive list like a catalog where it's like, well, I want this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. We should know them. I'm not saying we shouldn't know them because, listen, if we know that these have been given as spiritual gifts in the past to accomplish the mission of God, then we need to know how to pray for them and we need to know how to ask God to maybe not fill us with them but fill whoever in our church so that we can accomplish the mission of God. So I'm gonna walk through each one of these spiritual gifts that he listens, but I want you to understand there's more in the Bible. I don't have time to go through every one of them. If you're interested uh, in that, then uh, shoot me an email and I'll send you a list of, of, of what each of them are like. And here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna go through each one and I'm gonna tell you what it is and I'm gonna show you places in scripture where these giftings have been operated in by either Christ who had all the spiritual gifts or by a believer in the book of Acts so that you can see exactly how God used it to grow the kingdom. Because there are a group of people probably close to us in this community, in this world, that will tell you that some of the spiritual gifts are no longer in operation, like God doesn't use them anymore. But there is no reason to believe that based on Scripture. The only reason to believe that would be based on the fact that you're scared of them and you want to have control of the church when 
If you're looking for control of the church, you're in the wrong business because the church is God's. It's not an individual. It's not mine. It belongs to God. The Holy Spirit is the leader. We're trying to align with him as we walk with him. So here we go. The first thing he does is he gives us the message of wisdom or some translated as a word of wisdom. This is when the Spirit of God gives a believer supernatural wisdom and insight into his will. Uh, it's a word from, uh, really, a word from the Spirit of God giving an answer to a question or solving a problem or dealing with a difficulty, helping you make a decision. Paul is not talking about wisdom through experience or study. Uh, that's not what he's talking about. Though the Spirit of God does open our eyes to Scripture and the wisdom and the knowledge of Scripture, a spiritual gift is a supernatural thing where God gives you something that you don't have. And he gives it for the sake of his mission going forward. And so this is a supernatural invitation of wisdom in a moment that comes from God for the sake of his mission. Let's give you a couple of examples the first is in Luke chapter 20, verses 23 through 25. Write that down. You don't have to turn there. I'll tell you what it says. It says this, and there are many throughout uh, the Gospels and Acts. I'm just pulling a few. I could give you a whole list of them. Luke chapter 20, 23 through 25, Jesus demonstrates a word of wisdom. And so let me go ahead and correct the person that's saying, well, that's Jesus. He should have a word of wisdom. He knows everything. But when Jesus came to earth, he operated as fully human too. And so we need to understand that Jesus was an example for us, and so the Spirit of God was with him as he did his ministry. I'll give you Paul as another example to show you the same thing. So the Gospel, Luke 20, 23 through 25, dem Jesus demonstrates a word of wisdom. Uh, his Phar the Pharisees come up, uh, the tax collectors come, and uh, they come to the disciples, and they say, is it lawful to pay taxes? And Jesus knew the answer to that was, yeah, that's fine, just give Caesar what's Caesar's. But that's not what he said. In that moment, the next verse tells us that Jesus recognized what was in the hearts of these people, and he knew their agenda was for evil, and they were testing him. So in a moment, how did Jesus know what their agenda was and what they were seeking to do? God gave him a message of wisdom. Show you the same thing in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council uh, was a big deal in the early church. And so you had Jews who were one type of people. Gentiles were another. The Jews believed you had to follow a law. But when Christ came, he kind of fulfilled that law. So now the Gentiles had become believers. Now the, the church was no longer just Jewish people. It's Jews and Gentiles. But they lived different ways. The Jews eat certain things. The Gentiles were eating others. Just a lot of conflict, a lot of drama going on. So they have this big uh, shindig where they all get together, and they call it the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. An argument breaks out. Jews and Gentiles, uh, they take a break, and it says that James stepped up, and God had given him a word of wisdom. And how do we know that? Because the Scripture literally says James brought forward this idea uh, from God that basically said, okay, here's what's going to happen. Yeah, we don't need to make it hard for Gentiles to become Christians and to find their way in the church. But what we can do is ask them to refrain from eating these specific meats so that they're not a stumbling block for the other Jewish people in the community. And love wins at the end, right? So it's this idea of y'all love each other, let's unify, let's meet in the middle. And literally, the scripture says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to everyone around. 
And so the church agrees, which is a miracle in itself, but we're not talking about miracles right now. We're talking about a word of wisdom. And so God had given Pastor James a word of wisdom. He brought it forward. It unified the entire church in a moment where they needed it most. And so we see it in Acts 15. That's just a few. The second type of gift that Paul mentions is word of knowledge. This is the supernatural ability to know something that you have no way of knowing by experience observation, or study. And wisdom and knowledge kind of overlap a little bit, but you, you get the point. This is a revelation of information from God. Let me give you a couple examples. Mark chapter two, uh, verse eight. And you'll see these all throughout the gospels if you read them. Uh, but Jesus here specifically is dealing with a group of people and they're talking and uh, he, they hadn't even said anything. And so Jesus walks up and he says, hey, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? And it's like, all right, they're reasoning in their heart. They haven't said anything. So how does he know what they're thinking about in their heart? That's pretty cool, right? Well, one, he's Jesus. But two, the Spirit of God has revealed to him what these people are thinking about in their heart so that he can address. I'll give you another example. John chapter 4. We just taught this uh, around Easter, the woman at the well. Do you remember how that went down? Jesus comes up to this woman at the well. He shouldn't have been there. He starts a conversation with her. Uh, she kind of starts staying on the surface and asking questions. And then Jesus goes, wham, and just gets personal with her. She hadn't said anything about having five husbands. She hadn't said anything about living with another person. Jesus says, hey, I know you have five husbands and you're living with another one. Where did, how did he know that? Well, one, he's Jesus, but two, the Spirit of God gave him the ability to know what was going on in this woman's life and see the root of the issue in her life. Acts chapter 5, here's another situation. This is Peter in Acts 5. Anybody heard of the story of Ananias and Sapphira where uh, these two believers come and they uh, lie to the Holy Spirit and basically are struck down dead on the spot? If you hadn't read it, it's a very intriguing and very scary story. And so they die. And uh, the reason God strikes them down is because they lied to the Holy Spirit. And God told them to go sell a piece of property and bring the whole offering to the church. Well, they sold the piece of property, held back some of the money for themselves, and lied to the Spirit and lied to the church about it. And came forward and said, no, we gave the whole amount, but they were lying. And so in that moment, what does Peter say to them when he calls them forward? He calls in Ananias and his question for Ananias is, Ananias, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit and held back the money that God has asked you to give? How did Peter know that? The Spirit of God revealed it to him so that he could lead the church well, so that he could speak into the life of Ananias and uh, Sapphira in that way. We see words of knowledge that are given. And so understand, these gifts can manifest themselves in different ways and at different times, but they're always in the moment, about the mission of God to glorify Christ for that purpose. The third gift that he talks about is faith. Faith, uh, now this is different than the gift of faith that leads us to salvation. So if you're a Christian in the room, you've put your faith in Christ. That was a gift from God. This is different. This is a supernatural uh, gift of faith. We all have the gift of faith for salvation. This is a special supernatural gift of faith. Now, what is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So faith is trusting God when we can't see God. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels that uh, it never talks about Jesus' faith? Why would it never talk about Jesus' faith? 
because he's seen God. He knows God, right? So, But we haven't. We've never seen him, so we walk by faith in what we cannot uh, see. And so that's important for us uh, to understand. So let me give you some examples. Acts chapter 3, verse 6, Peter and John were going to the temple. Maybe many of you remember this story. Uh, and there's a lame man, and it says he's been there for a while. He's been there. He's been lame since birth. And he asked Peter and John, they were just going to church, which they've done a number of times. They asked him for money. Peter and John, on this specific day, God had given them the gift of faith. And what are Peter and John? They walk by. They see this man they've seen hundreds of times before probably. And, and Peter looks at him, and Peter says, hey, I don't have any money. Silver, silver I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Christ grabs him by the hand, picks him up, and he walks for the first time ever in his life. What compelled Peter to do that on time 96 that didn't compel him to do it on 1 through 95? You could say disobedience, but I'm gonna argue that on that day, the Spirit of God was working in Peter for the sake of the gospel and emboldened his faith to act on behalf of God. Another story that I love is in Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two, you see uh, these rednecks and they're sitting there, I call them rednecks, that's me making it up, but uh, you gotta be a redneck to cut the roof off of a place. And so they're, they're with their friend, he's sick, he, he, but they know Jesus is in town. And they have the faith on this specific day that if they can get their buddy to Christ, and they, then he'll heal them. The problem is there's too many people. They can't fight through the crowd. So Joe Bob, what's he's thinking? Hey, man, like, let's cut the roof off this joker and lower him down, and if we can get him in there, I guarantee Jesus will do something. So what do they do? He hollers at his boy uh, from down to Cedar Crossing. They go get the, the ladder and, and the bucket truck or whatever they bring. They put him on the roof. Uh, well, his buddy uh, over from Uvalda's got a chainsaw, brings him into Uvalda. Man, they cut the roof off this thing, lower him down with a rope from his buddy in Santa Claus and brings him in, and they lower him down in there. And man, Jesus heals the guy. So what compelled these men? And then Jesus goes on to say, it's not this guy's faith that has healed him, it's the faith of his buddies. And so the Spirit of God was doing a supernatural work in these men to give them a faith to compel them to do something that they wouldn't normally do. And that is what the scripture calls the supernatural spiritual gift of faith. Verse four, not verse four, the fourth uh, healing, uh, fourth gift he talked about are gifts of healing. Notice that's plural, gifts of healing. Supernatural gift of physical healing. It's pretty self-explanatory uh, that God still heals people, right? And so there's a group of people that will tell you that God no longer heals people or does miracles, but there's no reason to believe that. I mean, why would Paul write to a church in Corinth after the resurrection uh, that is a church just like us to say, no, you need to ask God for gifts of healing. And there's many of these in the New Testament. Uh, not only uh, in the Gospels do we see Jesus walk into places and heal everybody, but then there's also times where Jesus walks in uh, to the pool of Bethesda and he just picks out one person in the midst of many. And on that day, God, with the gift of healing, heals this uh, man. And so we see uh, this all throughout Scripture. That's John chapter 5 where Jesus walks into the pool of Bethesda and heals this guy. We also see it in Acts 28 with the Apostle Paul when he gets uh, to Malta. Uh, he, he gets off and he's shipwrecked and he goes to a place. He meets a guy named Publius, not Publix, but Publius. And he drops by this guy's house. His dad uh, was sick. And what does Paul do? He's like, well, let me go in and pray for him. He prays for him. Guess what happens? He gets healed. So the Spirit of God supernaturally uh, inside of Paul worked through him 
to heal uh, this man. And so we see uh, these gifts of healing taking place. The fifth one are the gifts of miraculous powers or the gift of miracles. The word here is dunamis, which is dynamite, the same word that we get dynamite from. It's power. So when he's talking about this, this is obvious power and powerful and supernatural work of God where it's clear that only God could have done this, right? You're, you're, you're witnessing something that only the power of God could have done in somebody. We see these all throughout Scripture. Jesus turns water to wine. Jesus feeds the 5,000 with a lunchbox. He does it again with 4,000. Jesus casts out demons. Jesus raises the dead. All of that, Acts 5, it continues on into the book of Acts 5, uh, chapter 5, chapter 16. Uh, the believers pray, and when they pray, uh, the prison supernaturally breaks open and the believers walk out of there. Acts chapter 10, Paul raises Dorcas from the dead. Acts 16, Paul casts demons out of a slave girl in Philippi. Acts 28, Paul's bit by a venomous snake. Everybody's like, hold on now. Rattlesnake bite, he should be hurting or at least be dead or dying or needs to go to the hospital. Paul shakes it off like nothing happened. Why does he do that? So the people of God would know that God was with this man. And so God gave him the gift of a miracle in that moment, healing, whatever you wanna say. Verse six, uh, the sixth one is prophecy. What is prophecy? To speak for God. Uh, this includes the idea of speaking about the future. Uh, it also is not confined by that. So, so prophecy can also be the word of God coming to your mind and to your heart in a moment to speak God's truth to a person, right? And so both of those could be considered uh, prophecy. Let me give you some examples of this. In Acts chapter 11, uh, there's a person named Agabus who predicts a famine throughout the world to the church. The church is able to take up an offering and send it to this group of people. Agabus, again, in Acts chapter 20, before Paul goes to Jerusalem, stands up and says, hey, Paul, they're gonna beat you here. You need to be careful. Prophesies, how did she know that? The Spirit of God told her. Acts 21, verses 8 and 9, uh, you, you see Philip the evangelist. Uh, liter the text literally says this. Philip the evangelist had four daughters who were single, and they prophesied. So I don't know if there's a connection between single women and prophecy, but that's what the Scripture says. You can interpret it together. So we see this gift of prophecy alive. Now let me give you a disclaimer with this. Anytime a person says, the Lord told me to say this, You'll probably never hear that come out of my mouth unless I'm 100% sure God told me to do it because I'm scared to say that because this has been abused so much in our culture. Somebody will stand up and say the Lord told them to say that on a whim and on a thought, but when people did that in the Bible, if it wasn't what the Lord said, they died. And so we need to be careful with the statement, the Lord told me to say this because there are people uh, that are literally leading people astray left and right. Every cult starts with somebody saying, God told me to do this. Mormons, God told me, he gave me these tablets, now follow me because I'm the new prophet. But we know spiritual gifts are not given to make much of a person. They're given to make much of God. And so even if God did give one of us a word for another person, we shouldn't walk away from the meeting thinking, oh man, Billy's awesome. He just shared a word from God. No, I'm gonna point you to the Bible and I'm gonna point you to the word of God. I'm gonna point you to Christ and say, no, God loves you. Don't walk away thinking I'm great. You walk away thinking he's great because I got issues, but God's grace is in me and working in me and through me. And so this is the heartbeat of a spiritual gift. The next one 
The seventh one is discernment or distinguishing between the spirits. This is the supernatural ability to see what the Holy Spirit is doing and to see what others are doing, other spirits are doing. So let me give you a few examples of this. Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus is with his disciples and he asked them a question. Who, who do the people say that I am? And then he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? You're the son of God, you're the Messiah. And what does Jesus reply back to him? The spirit of God has revealed this truth to you, Peter. And on you, I'll build my, on you, I'll build my church and all this. But then who, who gave Peter the knowledge and discernment to know that who he was. It was the Spirit of God. Then he goes on in the, in the same chapter, and later on in the chapter, Peter tries to stop Jesus from going to the, to the cross and dying. And then he looks at him, you know what he says? Get behind me, Satan. And so in this short chapter, Peter goes from the stud who's filled with the Spirit to now a spirit from demons are now trying to convince him that Jesus doesn't need to go and die on a cross. But Jesus could discern the difference. And I'm telling you that a spiritual gift that God gives us is the ability to know good from evil. And that's really, really good and helpful uh, in the church of God. Acts chapter 16 is another example. Paul walks into Philippi. Uh, him, and, him and his guys are sharing the gospel. And this girl just... just keeps following them around like these are servants of the most high they're so great they're doing awesome things you need to follow them come to their church they're great do this and it says Peter it says Paul got annoyed with her and turns around and says depart from her you evil spirit and a, and a demon leaves her now how in the world I mean, that'd be like me walking up to one of y'all that serve at our church, love our church. I mean, you're inviting people left and right. You think the world of me, you're loving this, and I'm like, come out of her or come out of him. You look at me like I was crazy. How did Paul know that this girl was possessed by a demon? The Spirit of God gave him discernment to see into that situation. This is the spiritual gift of discernment. Number eight, tongues, right? This one, a lot of questions around this. That's great. We're gonna dive into it more. If you'll come back in a, in a couple weeks in chapter 14, Paul handles uh, very thoroughly about the gift of tongues, but I'll just tell you what it is. First, the gift of tongues is supernaturally speaking in a language you did not learn through instruction or experience. Uh, there's several examples of this in the book of Acts. Acts 2, when Pentecost happens, People begin praising God in all different languages and tongues. Acts 10, the gospel goes to another location. They do the same thing. Acts chapter 19, uh, we see it again. Nine is the interpretation of tongues. Paul says not only do we get the gift of speaking in tongues, but there's people there that have the supernatural ability to discern the language uh, that they've not learned through training or experience. They hear something. They've never heard anything like it before, uh, but they know what's being said. Uh, for instance, I was uh, out in the parking lot this uh, morning and somebody walked by me on the phone and they were speaking, I'm assuming Spanish, um, and they were talking uh, to somebody 100 miles an hour. I had no idea what they were saying. In a moment, the Spirit of God has the ability to give me the ability to understand what they're saying for the sake of building up the church. That's an awesome gift, right? So let's think about it. What would a sinful person that's all about themselves do with the gift of tongues? That's just a super cool gift. They'd make it about themselves. So you know what's happened in the church today in a lot of places? They elevate 
the gift of speaking in tongues to the point where if you don't speak in tongues, you're a lower class Christian. And that's nowhere in the Bible. Like literally, we're about to see what Paul's gonna jump into and show us that no gift is more important than the other. He says, desire all the gifts, desire whatever it takes uh, to pursue God and to move his mission forward, but we shouldn't elevate one or uh, the other. And then in chapter 14, he's gonna say, when we do operate in some gifts, that we need to make sure that there's an interpreter so that the church is not confused, but it's actually built up. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. So here's a few things. I know I took a long time on that. The reason I wanted to do that is because I want you to know all of the spiritual gifts in the Bible, still in operation. They were in Acts, they were in the Gospels. So we as a church need to pray that God would give us whatever gift that he wants us to have to continue to take the mission of God forward. Now here's a couple of reminders before we hit verse 12. The first, all of these gifts are given to make much of Jesus, not people. So if somebody has a gift and your heart's right, you shouldn't be bragging on yourself, you should be bragging on the Spirit of God that's doing a work in you and through you. Secondly, they are given as God wills, not as man wills. There's nothing wrong with praying for a spiritual gift, but ultimately, if you're praying for the gift of healing and you pray and a person's healed or you pray and a person uh, does not get healed, you trust that God, the giver of the gifts, is doing what's best in that situation. And I understand you can wrestle around that a lot, but we trust God. We know he's giving good gifts to his people for the sake of the mission of God, and we have to trust him with what he gives and when he gives it. Thirdly, there's no exhaustive list of gifts. I already hit that, right? So we shouldn't study it like a catalog. I want this, this, and this. I'll take this for $9.99, that one for $14.99. Shouldn't be selling gifts, right? That's not how the spiritual gifts work. Whatever God gives is to accomplish his mission, and that is a spiritual uh, gift. Next, don't see spiritual gifts as a catalog. I hit that. And then next, see spiritual gifts as weapons in our arsenal as believers that God can and will give to accomplish his mission. And let's be a community of people that live on mission, that live open-handed to God, that live dependent on the Spirit of God to give us exactly what we need when we need it to accomplish his mission in the world. This is the church of God. This is what Paul wants to see in Corinth. This is what I would love to see here is that we would operate open-handed, on mission, dependent on the Spirit of God because he can do in us and through us what we can't do on our own. No strategy of man can compare to what the Spirit of God can do in this community and in this world through us. I can strategize all I want to. I can show you the most effective strategy and what I feel like will do this and all these different things, but if the Spirit of God's not empowering it, it'll do nothing. Nothing. So we must be a church that depends and leans and remains open-handed to the Spirit of God. Verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So the third thing Paul wants them to understand in Corinth is this. Understand that God has a good design for his church. He says God views the church like a physical body where he's the head, he's the operator, he makes the decisions, uh, he's, he's got the philosophies, he, he knows what's best, and then we operate as the hands and the feet and the liver and the butt cheek and all these other different things that you wanna be. We're a part of 
uh, the body. We got people that are hands that, you know, they go out and they serve people. They're serving all over the church right now. You got people with the feet. Those are the missionaries that go here. You got certain people that are the butt cheek and you just kind of sit here and do nothing. Uh, and so I'm joking. That's not a part. Everybody that has a spiritual gift uh, is in there. Uh, so anyway, there's many parts. It's like a human body. It is the ultimate team. There's a diversity of gifts. There's different people from different backgrounds that the Spirit of God gives different gifts uh, for uh, the purpose of, of unity so that we can be a great team that goes out with one goal, one mission, one spirit, one baptism, one message into the world, into the community, and people look and they say, wow, in a world that's divided, in a world that people are just doing what they want to do when they want to do, this people is different. They're not about themselves. They actually count themselves less significant than other people, and they work together like the greatest sports team you've ever seen uh, in, in your life that lays down their lives for one another and serves in different capacities, all for the goal of the glory of God going to the ends of the earth. Every person has a purpose. But verse 15 now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, then I do not belong to God, it would not, uh, it would not for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. It doesn't matter what people think about the gift that you have. Like, when God gifts you, he's given you that gift to be a part of the body, and it is valuable. So don't let people demean whatever gift that you have or whatever part of the body that God's called you to play. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, then where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, then where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the hand uh, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. So the fourth thing Paul points out is that everybody's important. So stop comparing yourself to other people. Like your gifting may be different than, than, than the other person, and, and it's, that's fine. Like work together. I was sitting in a room one time where a guy believed he had the gift of prophecy. That's still out for debate in my opinion, but he was there and he was, he was talking about God gifting him with this gift of a prophecy and a, an apostleship. And his definition of those two things were way different than my definition, but he felt like he, God had sent him to come in and fix, fix the church, not just the church, but all of our churches. And uh, I didn't know him. He wasn't serving I've never even seen him at our church. So he shows up somewhere. Maybe he was an angel. I may have missed it. But from what I know, I mean, this guy was literally saying, yeah, you need to, like, be, you need to want to be an apostle. Like, why do you want to be a pastor? 
Like, why would you want to take care of people's problems all the time? That doesn't do anything. Like, you should want to pray with me and speak in tongues and have this apostleship gift where you can just travel place to place. You don't have to clean up anybody's messes. And I'm like, all right, I don't know everything about the Bible. But walking with people spiritually until they become a mature Christian is a huge honor. And so anybody that would demean a spiritual gift for the sake of elevating themselves, I'm not saying it was a demon, but I'm saying by Paul's definition, there was some cursing going on of God's design for, the, for, the, for his body, and it was not good. And so we need to understand that, that, that literally we all play a different and significant part. We don't compare. We work together. Everybody matters. Everybody's valuable. Nobody's better than anyone else. Gifts aren't about value because they're given by God anyway, by his grace. They're grace gifts. They're about the spirit of God working in us and through us. When God works through somebody else in this church, we're going to rejoice. We're going to celebrate it. When somebody else falls in this church, man, we're going to mourn with them. Because this is what the body is all about. We're in it together. We are a family. And God says, when we see it this way and we begin to operate in unity and oneness and everybody's valued and everybody's playing their part, nobody's on the sideline, we will become one. And we know what John 17 tells us about when the church becomes one. People literally see Christ. Like we ain't even got to say anything. Like they see Christ in what he's doing in our church. And when they see that, that's what the church is designed to be. That's our ultimate goal. So Paul rounds it out in verse 27 with this. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Each of you. Who's a part of it? Every person, every believer. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles. That's a new gift. He didn't talk about that in the list. That's what I'm telling you. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. That wasn't in the first list, so we get another one. Then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping. That wasn't in the first. Guidance, not in the first. And of a different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret tongues? No. Then he ends. And he said, but now... Church, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire the gifts of God. Not just know that they're out there and know that they exist, but eagerly desire to be used by God. Like Paul wants every person in this room to know that God has gifted you. And he's gifted you with his Holy Spirit. Listen, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the Spirit of God that he's placed in you. And God can use you and work. Listen, some of us feel like we are disqualified from being used by God because of something in our life. But when God saves us, when we turn from sin and trust in Christ and we receive his Holy Spirit, that's what qualifies us. I don't care what you did before that. God now has his vessel, his spirit in you, and he wants to use you to do incredible things. But we have to get off of the sideline. We have to stop arguing and start serving. Like get in the game, eagerly desire the spirit of God and eagerly desire to be used by God. You see, God wants us 
to understand that he has a design for his church. And that design is great. It's not about one person. It's about us working together as a team. And God can do more through us together than he could do through any one man. And it's a good design. But we got we to gotta begin to be open to it and say, man, I'm, I'm not satisfied with just coming and sitting on a Sunday. Like, I want to be a part of the church, not just consume, but I want to own the mission that God has given the church. I want to I help people. I want to see God work in me and through me. And second, we got to understand the spiritual gifts. We got to know that, listen, the Spirit of God working in us is better than any ability that we could ever bring through the table. So would we be open-hearted and and open-handed to say, God, whatever I need to do what you've called me to do, would you fill me with it? And then thirdly, we got to know how to operate in our gifts. Not only know how to identify it, but then operate in it. How do you do that? Well, I'd, I'd probably tell you different than any other person in this community. Don't go take a spiritual gifts test. I think those are stupid and weird. I think you look at the purpose of of the spiritual gift, which is to encourage the faith of others, and you just start there. Just start in a small group. Start serving on a Sunday and begin to just focus on believers around you and say, man, what can I do to help you? Like, what can I do to help you grow? And as you begin to do that, what you're going to find that it unlocks is something in you that you like, like that you're passionate about. It's gonna, there's going to be something that you're good at. And then there's going to be something that others say, man, when you do that, God does something in me that he doesn't do when anybody else talks about. Whether that, That's how I figured out that my gift was teaching. I was like, man, I don't like to speak in front of people. I hate to read. I got none of the nuts and bolts to be a good teacher. And I was just like, man, we need a Bible study. Started a Bible study. Just like, we're going to walk through the book of Acts. I don't know how to preach. We'll just walk line by line. We'll just talk about what it means and ask good questions. And here we go. Literally, Bible study group went from five people in an apartment in Statesboro to 150 people. And I'm sitting there like, what am I doing? I mean, my wife's making cookies. Maybe it's the cookies. I don't know what's going on. You know, so I'm sitting here thinking like, wow, what in the world? But it started with me just having a desire to, to, to help people. So are you on the sidelines or are you in the game? For some of us, our next step is clear. Like today, we need to decide we're not satisfied with just sitting on a, in an auditorium on Sunday mornings. We want to get involved. We want to serve. We want to go to heart and soul. We want to go to a small group. We want, to, we want to be a part of the church. And listen, the only step from there is obedience. Because listen, utilizing your spiritual gift doesn't only grow you, it grows others. And then it makes a difference in the kingdom of God. So right where you're at today, I just want you to bow your head. I don't know where you came in the room today. But here's what I know. And here's what I want you to hear from God this morning through his word that God has a purpose for your life, that you are gifted by God. If you are a Christian in this room and you have the Holy Spirit in you, God has gifted you. And listen, he wants you to be a part of his church. 
Like somebody's life in this room can be impacted. Somebody's life in this room may go from death to life and salvation because of your willingness to take this next step. So ask God for the courage to step. Listen, you say, Billy, I don't know where to plug in. Just do something. Serve on a blue team, serve on an orange team. Go to heart and soul. If you can run a computer, just sign up to just do something. And then as God begins to work in and through you, I promise you, your spiritual gifts are gonna raise to the top. For some of us in this room, we're not a Christian. Like We don't have a relationship with God. We've never surrendered our life to Jesus. I tell you, I wouldn't even worry about the serving aspect right now. You got a decision to make. Right now, you're living your life apart from God. The God who created everything, the world, he created you, he created your mom who had you, he created all of this stuff, he's placed you in a specific room for a divine appointment today to tell you that he loves you and that there's no way that you're ever gonna find fulfillment or satisfaction in living for yourself. And he's saying you need to be saved. But the problem is, is you can't save yourself. It's not about doing enough good things or coming to church enough or trying to look good for other people. But he's saying, I have good news for you. I've done everything necessary to save you, to reconcile you back to myself. And I did it by sending my only son to a cross to die in your place so that now if you will place your faith in him, if you will repent and turn from your sin and living for yourself and turn and trust in Christ and say, I wanna live for you. I realize I'm designed for you, created for you. I wanna find my fulfillment and find life as it's supposed to do in you. In a moment, he'll change everything. But it starts with a posture of humility and a posture of repentance. So if you're in this room this morning, you say, Billy, that's me, that's where I'm at. I'm ready to turn from my sin and trust in Christ. And I wanna do that today. I'm gonna ask you to be bold. I want you to lift your hand right where you're at. I wanna pray for you. You say, anybody in this room, say, that's me. It's where I'm at this morning. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. And anybody in this room, I'll give you a second. So Father, here's my prayer. God, would you make us a church, God, that is open-handed to you, God, that wants to be used by you to accomplish your purposes in the world. And God, will we not do it in our own strength, but will we depend on the power of your spirit at work in us and through us to accomplish your purposes. So God, I pray you bless people in this room. God, would you give them the courage to take the next step that you're calling them to take today. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for being here and we'll see you back next week.